Today on Blue 58, the Packers did everything they could to get in their own way, but ultimately they straightened things out enough to come away with a win, and a big one at that. What went wrong and how did they fix it? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. In this week's preview, I talked a little bit about outcomes. Many, if not most, were bad for the Packers. Came up with three main ones. They could lose outright, which is bad for obvious reasons. They could win, but still play poorly. No style points in the box score, as we always say, but still you want to play well and you want to have things all organized. You want to shake off that uh, bad game off the bye week sort of reputation that the Packers have had under Matt LaFleur. Or the Packers could win and play well. Those were my three, but apparently there's a fourth option because the Packers against the Bears were really bad for a while, then really, really good for a while. They were injured to an insane degree, but still held up. They were perfect somehow on field goals and extra points, but still overall atrocious on special teams. They got gouged again and again and again on defense, but other than two long touchdowns, nothing ever really felt consequential. How do you even really describe a game like that? The Packers got the win, and that's the important thing. That's the only thing that matters. Really, all you can do beyond that is just look at things piece by piece and kind of just say, what about this? What about this? Well, what about this? So that's kind of where I'm left for this episode. So let's dive into that exact approach. Usually we start with three things that went well in a game, but I think we've got to do the opposite today because that's the way the game more or less went. The Packers started out really badly. We'll talk about that slow start in a second, but the headline here is special teams. I can hardly list the errors that the Packers made on special teams at this point. You have the punt return touchdown. You've got the muffed punt, which was called back but still happened. You've got the badly played onside kick. You've got numerous big kickoff returns. You've got Malik Taylor muffing a kickoff return, costing the Packers 35 yards or so. You've got Mason Crosby apparently not able to consistently make it all the way to the end zone on kickoffs. I, I don't know, man. It's, it's wild. I'm not even sure I got everything there. Way, way back in week one, I was pretty harsh on Joe Barry saying basically he got Packers' defensive coordinator job because he's a nice guy to be around. Turned out to be wrong about Joe Barry, but kind of feels like it was right about Maurice Drayton. Probably should have said that at the time, but that's basically the archetype here, it seems like. I love him. I love his pressers. I will stop what I'm doing to listen to him talk if I'm at my computer. But special teams is a mess just absolutely a mess right now. Let's talk about Omari Rodgers specifically. What more do you need to see? Why is he back there? There's no one else who can go back there and catch a punt. Nobody who's ever done it before. He's got no role on the offense. The Packers are running jet sweeps to Alan Lazard rather than put Rodgers in that role. He can't reliably field punts. And when he does, he doesn't do anything with them. What is going on here? It kind of feels like we're at the sunk cost fallacy at this point. The Packers have a lot of resources sunk into Amari Rodgers, a third-round pick, and they just don't want to change their course. But I don't know if that's a viable option at this point. So special teams, there's a big problem. The offense, starting out pretty skittish. Aaron Rodgers unsettled in the pocket. Easy to see why. 
with what he was going up against. A lot of pressure up front early, but he ran himself into a lot of pressure too. A big no-no. Basically, the offense looked stilted and poorly adapted to the personnel the Packers had available. To his credit, Matt LaFleur adjusted in-game, got the quick game going, got the run game more involved, got uh, Devontae Adams involved. He's doing that more and more frequently and more and more quickly in games, just adjusting to what's working and sticking with it from there. We've got the Matt LaFleur microchip no more. It's not that once one thing goes wrong, it's just a cascading series of failures into oblivion. No, if things aren't going well for the Packers, as often as not, it seems like they pull it out here at some point. They at least try something different. In the not-too-distant past, that was anything but a sure thing. But that start nearly sank the Packers. And against a better team, it would have. Finally, on defense, chunk plays. Happening all too often. Teams are starting to target the weak spots on the Packers and doing it doing it to great effect. Henry Black was the guy tonight. It could be somebody else another night. But they will find out where the Packers are weak on defense and exploit it. The Packers also got Devondre Campbell running sideline to sideline tonight and exploited that as well. A guy who's been on the shelf here for, for a while after testing positive with COVID. You're starting to see practice time matters for a lot of guys. Well, maybe not for Aaron Rodgers as we transition over to good things. Look, don't mock the belt. Let's just put it that way. Don't make fun of Aaron Rodgers' signature celebration. It never seems to work out. Robert Quinn. Rodgers started pretty slow, but boy, did he settle in in a big way. Ten on the dot in terms of adjusted net yards per attempt, that singular number that we use to track quarterback performance. That is going to send his overall number for the season up pretty significantly as we check in on the uh, the larger game chunk um, trends on that this week. Really, he found ways to get the ball out quick. He got Devontae Adams involved and also found some time to settle a score or two. That last touchdown the Packers scored seemed personal. They got Devontae Adams isolated against Jalen Johnson and cooked him. Simple as that. They may have done that anyway, but young Jalen Johnson was getting awful chirpy in the first half, apparently now realizing that there are two halves to be played. Maybe he was listening into the broadcast where Chris Collinsworth couldn't say enough good things about the efforts of Jalen Johnson, and look, he was doing great in the first half, but the Packers got Devontae Adams unlocked, and their offense thrived as a result. Four touchdowns on the afternoon, on the evening for Aaron Rodgers, and according to Rob Domovsky of ESPN via ESPN Stats and Info, Aaron Rodgers now has the most four touchdown passes with no interceptions against a games against a single opponent in NFL history. He has seven now against the Bears, moving past himself with six such games against the Vikings, and Tom Brady's in third with five games against the Bills. Another good thing tonight, the offensive line. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. Literal, Literally one actual starter left. The Packers left this game fielding their third string left tackle, their st- second string left guard, their second and technically third even string center, Royce Newman at right guard, who the Packers wouldn't be starting or playing if they had any other reasonable choice at this point, and their second string right tackle, Dennis Kelly, still alive. Proof of life for Dennis Kelly. 
and he played pretty well. I want no part of this long term, and if the Packers can't get David Bakhtiari back now, I don't mean like right now, like heading into next week, but if they can't come back at some point this season, the offensive line is probably going to be their undoing even more quickly than special teams could be. But here and now, against a motivated Bears front, this was something to see. The pass rush on defense wasn't perfect. It wasn't super disciplined. And you've got to be disciplined against a runner like Fields. But they were able to put consistent pressure on Justin Fields, and that led to a lot of mistakes. The strip sack, the two interceptions, at least in part because of pressure. Obviously the strip sack was, but Fields was uncomfortable for most of the night. And it was a great effort by a bunch of different guys. Kingsley Kiki, regular pressure. Dean Lowry getting pressure. Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith, of course, getting pressure. Great effort top to bottom. Finally, and I know, know we usually do four or three good things. we got a fourth one tonight. I just wanted to talk for a second about Alan Lazard. If I had to describe him in a single word, it would be useful. He blocks, he runs, he catches, he does it all. He's an outstanding blocker, really, but that's his only real plus trait. He's, I'd say, basically a pretty average player elsewhere, but he consistently shows up, and he gets mileage out of everything that he's got. He is a fully maximized player. He's getting the most out of every sliver of ability that he has. And I'd rather have guys like him who are getting everything out of what they've got than guys you're hoping still turn into something someday. His 75 yards tonight were the most he's had in a game since his monster 146-yard performance against the Saints way back near the start of last season. It's just nice to see him getting opportunities and uh, continuing to, to perform and do good things. Alan Lazard, is a uniquely useful player for the Packers, and they figured out a way to use him and use him well. What does it mean? Well, it means for right now the Packers are right there at the top in the NFC. Whatever unholy force keeps Tom Brady going got him another win today, so he keeps pace. But the Packers are 10-3, and and they're a Vikings loss away from clinching the division, and they're doing everything they can to stick in the race for the number one seed in the NFC. Pretty darn good place to be here on December 13th as we record this episode. Up next, the Packers travel to Baltimore, an afternoon kickoff. Baltimore lost today, and they may have lost Lamar Jackson for the season, although backup quarterback Tyler Huntley is actually pretty good. He's no Lamar Jackson, though. So I think we're going to see a lot this week about whether or not Lamar Jackson is going to play. Changes the complexion of the game significantly if he does few random thoughts and observations, then I'll let you get on with your Monday. A Mercedes Lewis had 51 yards on four catches against Chicago. That is the most yards he's had in a game since joining the Packers four years ago. On top of that, it is his highest yardage total in a game since 2017, five seasons ago, when he had 62 yards in a win by the Jaguars over the Baltimore Ravens, who just so happened to be the very next team on the Packers' schedule. I don't want to harp on Amari Rodgers, but i got to circle back to this. I don't know if you can keep him keep him around at this point. I, I struggle with this because I don't think they cut him outright. I don't think that's something they're going to do. But I could see a case to be made if you wanted to do that. He's got no role on the offense. He's a liability on special teams. What's the case for keeping him? Really, I, I don't have one. 
other than the hope that he could still develop someday, which, you know, may happen yet, but he can't be on the field anymore. They've got to figure out a way to have him be on the roster without having him be on the roster. Figure out a way to get him to injured reserve, I guess. I just, it couldn't be more clear that the Packers don't want him involved in significant parts of their offense, but they still go out of their way to get him involved on special teams. It just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because this season, whenever the Packers have needed real depth at wide receiver, whenever they've been facing injuries there, to a degree that they really have to put actual receivers on the field, they've turned to Malik Taylor. They've turned to Jawan Winfrey. I don't know what the role is for Rodgers at this point. Why keep him around? Because he doesn't seem to be a guy you can count on returning punts. He doesn't seem to be a guy who has any kind of role in the offense. What is he at this point, other than a developmental project who isn't developing? Furthermore, once again, why not Tyler Irvin? Surely he can stand back there and catch punts. Surely he can do something in a gadget-type role on, on offense. Surely he can be Randall Cobb light. Although the Packers were running a lot of Aaron Jones split out wide today. Maybe they're just treating him as a quasi-wide receiver, given that A.J. Dillon seems to really be coming along as the runner. He's almost the Packers' primary runner at this point, and I guess maybe maybe Aaron Jones is still working his way back from, from the knee sprain, but uh, Dillon seems to be the guy. When the Packers need the ball carried, they turn to him. And it's easy to see why. When he carries the ball, he makes things happen. Solid, solid effort tonight. 15 carries, 71 yards, long of 11. Sure, not spectacular, but he's getting the job done. And he's moving the chains for the Packers. During their decisive drive, uh, he got a bunch of action. And he just pounded away, five, six yards at a crack, and helped the Packers run a lot of time off the clock. I could wax eloquent about that last drive, their last real drive, but just the bare facts are are exciting enough. 13 minutes and 11 seconds on the clock when the Packers take over there in the fourth quarter. And they go down the field for a touchdown and take almost nine minutes of game time off the clock as they do so. Going up 45-27, sealing that game pretty much for good. They show everything, running power, running speed. Devontae Adams moving the chains however he has to. Uh, Mercedes Lewis getting involved in the passing game. The Packers did it all. And it ended with a beautiful, just one-on-one route, Devontae Adams against Jalen Johnson for a touchdown. Speaking of roles on offense, Josiah DeGuara's role continues to grow. So Dominic Daphne goes down in this game. He's been taking a lot of the um, sort of true fullback looks that you get with the semi-H back, the F in the LaFleur offense that the Packers have. Quickly, though, it became all DeGuara all the time, and he did great. Leading Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon down the field as a true fullback, like front man in the I formation type looks. He lined up as an H-back, like a wing player. He lined up hand down on the line of scrimmage. He and A.J. Dillon at least once lined up together in the backfield 
in a in a split shotgun look, one guy to either side of of Aaron Rodgers. That's something you don't see every day. And for his trouble, Josiah DeGuara, DeGuara, Al Michaels, by the way, Josiah DeGuara had 44 yards receiving a career high. I don't want to spend a ton of time on ref talk. It gets it a little bit tiresome because there's nothing you can do about it. Well, honestly, there's nothing we can do about any of this, what we talk about anyway. But ref stuff seems especially, especially fraught to talk about because the refs are going to do what the refs are going to do. But to criticize the refs, I suppose, the offensive pass interference call on Devontae Adams was both mystifying and hugely consequential. Whatever they called on Devontae Adams occurred after Jalen Johnson had a fistful of jersey that prevented Adams from turning around when his route called him to do it. But even quibbling with the call aside, the play itself set up a potential 14-point swing for that drive. Because that happened on third down, the Packers punted, and the very next play, as a result, was a punt return for a touchdown. The Packers moved quickly for a touchdown on their next drive before the half, and potentially could have scored on that drive where the OPI took place. But instead, flags on the field, punt return touchdown, Bears lead 24-14. to Boy, would we have been talking about that one had the Packers ended up losing. A couple nice, almost attaboy sort of moments uh, as we close out this podcast. Uh, Preston Smith finishes with two sacks and a fumble forced. Now has seven sacks on the year. The first one tonight, getting to six, gave him a $500,000 incentive on the season. So, nice little check coming his way, courtesy of that first sack. Courtesy, perhaps, of an injury to Jason Peters, which uh, left it to Tevin Jenkins to hold down the fort at left tackle. As an aside there, one of the most surprising things that happened tonight was that even though he got a bunch of pressures, Rashawn Gary did not come away with a sack. I just felt like that was an inevitability, but it never even ended up happening. But back to Preston Smith, what a season for a guy who bet on himself and was rewarded. Hard not to be really happy for him. And I'm happy that I was wrong about what the Packers would do. I thought they were going to move on from Preston Smith. I'm glad they didn't, given how that has worked out. And given that contract restructure, Smith is still costing the Packers practically nothing. So don't worry about even that aspect of it either. Sure, he's uh, not perfect as a player. But tonight he was very consequential and um, continues to make plays for the Packers in absence of Zadarius Smith. Finally, the very last play of the game, it's a kneel down from Kurt Bankert. We mentioned that in the preview. Uh, he's been on NFL rosters for more than 1,300 days, has never appeared in an actual NFL game. But now, with one rushing yard or one rushing attempt for negative two rushing yards or whatever it is, uh, he's officially on the board in the NFL record books. Two kneel down, I guess, for Bankert for a negative one yard total. Now officially among the least productive runners in Packers history. I'm sure he'll take it. Been a long road for him to get to this point, and it took uh, an illness from Jordan Love for him to get there. But he made it to the field today, and he got to do something when he when he was on it. Pretty cool stuff, and a great decision, great awareness by Matt LaFleur to get him out there, get him a couple snaps, uh, just let him take part in uh, in something that he's worked so so long to achieve. 
That's all I've got for you on this episode. would like to remind you to donate to our charity drive. Send me a screenshot of whatever donation you make to either the Shamar Jean Charles team in the uh, Walk to End Alzheimer's or your donation to the Adrian Amos I'm Still Here Foundation. You can find details in your show notes or at thepowersweep.com. Just look for the charity post there. Uh, if you want to support us, in addition to making some support towards uh, towards those charities, both very worthy causes, you can join us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep to contrib- contribute any amount per month uh, to Blue 58 and The Power Sweep. Or, even simpler, just share this episode. If you enjoyed it, share it with something you think would enjoy it, someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to get more people listening to the show, going to get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers and ultimately help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.